Michael Show. What's going on on a Monday edition? In the rain. We're dry inside the studio. The Kintec Studio here with you for the next hour. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Bick, Ben, Victor, Lachlan, full staff today running the show. Uh, and, of course, you, the people, in the people show, 650-650 in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online, DunbarLumber.com. Monday edition, we got Buzzer Bell coming up in about 10, 12 minutes Guess the lines in the back half of the show. Uh, also, if you haven't heard the news or the uh, interview we're going to be doing here on Sportsnet 650, Patrick Alvine will join Canuck Central an hour from now, right off the top of the show with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. So 58 minutes away. I got you locked in. Until then, you hear from uh, another bald guy in Patrick Alvine. But in the meantime, you get me. Uh <laughs> A lot to get it to. We'll touch on the Canucks. Brendan Batchel will join us uh, at uh, 3.30, your voice of the Vancouver Canucks. So we'll get into it with Batch on uh, a busy weekend for your Canucks as they get a win. 2-0. and The start. Four points. It's got the one in the points percentage. It's unreal. But we'll talk how they are getting there. Uh, I will touch on it here in a couple of minutes. I do want to start with the Seattle Seahawks, though. Losing to the Cincinnati Bengals. I got some of your DMs over the course of the weekend. Gino, worst game ever. All that sort of stuff uh, coming into the uh, DMs this weekend. Look, that was, I actually think that was a really, really good game. I know it was red zone struggles, all that sort of stuff. This was like chess on the football field, and they got outgunned in the red zone. Simple as that. This is a really good Bengals team. Dealt with the Joe Burrow calf issue. They get to week six, and they're three and three here. They're huge sigh of relief of, hey, our season didn't sink here. We can recover in week eight through being three and three right now. So this is a huge sigh of relief for the Bengals from where their season started. But they give them credit. They're going into the bye week. Everything's stable again. But that defense for the Bengals finally back on track. It's one of the reasons, you know, bigger issues of concern. Health is obviously serious for Joe Burrow, but that can recover. The defense hadn't looked like it was up to its uh usual fantastic self. They were Amazing situationally uh, in the red zone, obviously. Third downs, massive. But that was a difficult game for the Seahawks. It was there for them to win, but red zone, it's been a problem. Also, I will say, though, it's been a problem across the league as well. This is not a specific to Seattle issue red zone problems. It's across the league right now. It's something we talked about with Mark Schofield a couple of weeks ago, as we do on Tuesdays here on the People Show. Also, programming note, no People Show tomorrow, 3 o'clock uh, game against the Flyers, so we're not on tomorrow. But red zone across the league has been a serious flaw. 
throw in offensive line with some injuries who've played well. Don't get me wrong. They've played well, but we're getting to the stage of the season. Everyone's getting tape on everyone. Now you get a banged up OL. How do they perform against the defensive line? DJ Reader was a serious problem for the Bengals yesterday and couldn't couldn't execute. And I, I interested to watch all 22. Haven't had my chance to uh, go through it all, but I also just don't think there was a lot there for Gino to throw to Jeffro texting with all the Seahawks. Uh, sorry, with all the sacks on the last two drives, uh, should they have called quicker passing plays in the red zone? Like there were there were three step drops that just weren't guys ready. Uh, I, I think the Bengals when they're playing at their best, we'll get into it in in uh, buzzer bell in just a little bit. But also tomorrow on the power ranks. Actually, there's no show tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday on the power ranks. We'll we'll push the power ranks to to Wednesday since we weren't on Tuesday last week either. Um, Bengals defense should be a top six, top five unit, and they just haven't been. And when they play heavy and they are like graduate level defense with their defensive coordinator they were just clogging up everything yesterday uh you need dk you need tyler metcalf you need jsn to try to win it just didn't happen and i think yesterday is more about offensive line and perhaps um shane waldron just had a bad game i think shane waldron's fantastic but hey sometimes you get beat and it, it I think everything that happened yesterday is correctable moving forward against Arizona and Cleveland uh, over these next two weeks. Although suddenly Cleveland, man, that is not going to be an easy one in two weeks coming to Seattle. That defense between them, the 49ers and the Jets, who we'll get into in just a bit here, to me might be the three best defenses right now because they are flying and punishing and that is a huge win for the Cleveland Browns to also uh, get two, three wins on the season. But for the Seahawks, uh, moving forward here, still a ton of faith in Geno Smith. I think you have to go back to last season. Like he, he didn't play well in the game against Denver last season, but got the win. I thought he played significantly better than, than he did in some wins last year. Just That was a, a game that was executed at its highest level yesterday and the Seahawks on the wrong side of it. Encouraging signs for the defense though to be able to take that kind of step and hold the Bengals who were, you know, look better offensively than what they did for the first couple of weeks. They held them to a field goal in the second half. That's pretty good signs for the defense moving forward. Have to get more pressure on the quarterback. Uh, So we'll see how that materializes over the couple of uh, weeks here, but in the secondary, certainly have a lot more confidence what Devin Witherspoon looks like. He was so fast and so on top of a route, the ball hit him in the back. That's how good he was. That's how good and on top of it Devin Witherspoon was. Trey Brown, fantastic day. Uh, but they're looking significantly better in the back end. Now the front has to really start generating enough pressure uh, if they really want to go places. Because they got some interesting matchups here. Like they're going to have to play San Fran in a couple of weeks. The Rams uh, a month from now. Dallas is going to be in there. Philly's going to be in there. So you're going to go against some good offensive lines. If you don't have pass rush, uh, you are going to get chewed up by some of those teams. All right. That's thoughts on the Seahawks. If you got thoughts on the Canucks, you can text in 650-650. They win in Edmonton. And there was a lot of discussion on, on Saturday and over the course of the weekend. I'm sure you were having it in your group chats and with your neighbors or if people still talk to their neighbors, wherever. When you were having your conversation, I'm getting a lot of 
shaking heads from behind the glass. Nobody no. talks to their neighbors? No. I, I Honestly, I don't know my neighbors in my apartment building either. So I you, feel, sh- you should know that, though. How pe- is that any different? If you have people over, it's easier. Noise travels. You got to like, be like, hey, do you want to come over for a beer? Right. A lot of people moving constantly. And also, I, like, I, I'm, I'm fairly convinced one of my neighbors is like an Airbnb. Really? Yeah. So I just, I just see different people on my floor all the time. It's like, Temporary. It's a new face. That's a new face. It's like, I, I'm not going to try to make... I tried introducing myself once, and the old lady was, like, very concerned. And I was like, oh, I don't think she lives there, because I've never seen her again. You're like, that's the last time I do that. Yeah. But, like, if, if you're Talk in, like, a cul-de-sac, the man. On Saturday. <laughs> Did you see that Lafferty goal? What did you think about Ian Cole? Is he blocking shots or what? And honestly, Ian Cole, to me, is kind of the embodiment of of what I actually wanted to talk about. What's repeatable moving forward here? Do you want to see... Because we talked about low event and are they going to be collapsing, all that sort of stuff. You can't collapse the way they did as far as structurally for the the next 80 games. You you can't do that. Everybody knows that. I know we had some people texting in and saying, like, hey, like they gave up 51 scoring chances and all that sort of stuff. Understandable, you can't live that way for 80 games. But in the construct of what that game was, how do you try to win in that environment? What do you have to do? Well, you have to be physical and you have to block shots. And that's the sort of thing, the mentality is what's repeatable. You have to change the style of play. But in a game, when it's going wrong, you can't just say, well, they gained the zone. I guess they're going to score six tonight. You still have to win in the environment that that game is created in. And Ian Cole, to me, was the guy that fulfilled that. Physical play, obviously blocking the shots. How is that going to translate to everyone else moving forward? Obviously, we spent a lot of time about Elias Pettersson. The way he's playing right now is out of control, but there is a mental engagement and a physical engagement from Elias Pettersson that is fantastic to see. You're also never going to, you're not always going to be playing Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl every single game. I don't expect them to be a, a collapsing, protect-the-house type team tomorrow against Philly, 3 o'clock, by the way, here on our airwaves. So that's something that's going to be something to keep an eye on here. What is repeatable is the work ethic. We have seen games last year where they've given up less scoring chances, but odd man rushes, three on twos. There wasn't really a lot of those on Saturday. There was a three on a four on three that got pushed to a five on three where Fogel puts that puck in the corner, rims around, suddenly it's a two on oh the other way. But Nugent Hopkins had the play. It's not a breakaway. It's not a but right in front of the net on the first shift of the game. Outside of that, they didn't have transition opportunities. There were end zone opportunities, but Casey DeSmith, for me, was not pushed to a great degree. A lot of saves. The volume was certainly there in the net front scrambles, but I'd expect my goalie to be in front of some of those net front scrambles. Casey DeSmith did the job on Saturday. Canucks get two points, and moving forward uh, is the work ethic. The talk at Staples going to continue through the rest of this road trip. 650, 650. Uh, this one, uh, Teresa from Nanaimo. Juleson uh, should uh, go bring in Breezeball back. Well, we'll see uh, what happens moving forward. But uh, at Skate Today, uh, Noah Juleson maintaining his spot. Carson Soucy will be a game-time decision tomorrow. And righty-lefty, uh, certainly the... Priority for Rick Tockett. Susie skating with Noah Juleson. It was Hirose was the extra today. We'll see what happens tomorrow 
as well. Uh, well, we'll get into all that with Brendan Batchelor in about uh, 15, 20 minutes, plus some guest the lines in the second half of the show as we look ahead to week seven as well. All right. New Monday fee feature. We've been doing this for a while. I'm enjoying it. Uh, we're pro all about makings, makes and misses. When are we good? When are we bad? We're pro accountability on this show. Uh, so we've been doing buzzer bell. Uh, let's get back into it here on a Monday. Oh, that's not new music. The music goes hard. All right. Hit me with a buzzer. <clears throat> new York football giants. I said in the preseason, I thought maybe this team would be eight, nine wins kind of hanging around there. I thought they would be difficult to play against. And while the underlying numbers last year were certainly not friendly to them, could they get to a stage where they were just average? Well, they're not an average team. I I know it was a plucky effort last night. Tyrod Taylor kind of does his thing. But that team, one in five right now, this season is over for the New York Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones is certainly not going to be able to come back uh, from all this. They are going to get ready to play Washington coming up, the Jets coming up, Dallas on the way, Green Bay after the bye. It's not going to be easy for the New York Giants. That is a big buzzer for me there. Now, I said the Rams offense is going to be okay. I thought their demise was greatly exaggerated. I thought the offense was going to be the thing that carries them. I had them for five, six wins, somewhere around there. The offense for me... Again, doing it. Kyron Williams, 158 yards. Matthew Stafford uh, with 225 yards. And now you threw in uh, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, still doing his thing. 150 yards for Cooper Cup and a touchdown. This is a team that's going to be frustrating to deal with. I don't know if the defense is going to be able to hang once they step up in competition outside of Arizona. But if, if look, you're, you're going to need to put up 24, 27 points against this Rams team because offensively they are going to make it boat race games. Now I'm interested to watch them. They got Dallas and Green Bay coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks. Those games should be fantastic to watch uh, for the entertainment reasons. But LA Rams, good offense. I was wrong in the Detroit Lions. I had them a little lower. I I, I wanted to see the the hype kind of grow into the season. Uh, They have stepped in immediately and really uh, impressed. I I said last week, hard work travels uh, in the NHL. Offensive lines travel in the NFL. And on the road in Tampa Bay, it's not an easy environment with the way that defense can play. They dial it up. Situational football, they are fantastic. Third and longs, they converted and converted them into touchdowns as well. They were good in the fourth quarter as well. And we're talking about all these red zone struggles that teams are having, including the Seattle Seahawks. You know what team is not having red zone struggles right now? The Detroit Lions. And hats off to Jared Goff doing what he needs to do. Uh, Enjoy it now, Lions fans, because Ben Johnson's certainly going to be number one, I imagine, on a lot of owners' head coach list come this season. We'll see what jobs open up that might attract them uh, to, to bring them out there. But they are winning with a discarded QB and a fantastic offensive line and a brilliant offensive mind with Ben Johnson. And and this is a team that suddenly uh, are they in the mix in a, in a week when we talked about, you know, 49ers lose, the Eagles are going to lose. Um, are 
we talking about a team that's going to be hanging around the number one seed in the NFC because now there's no undefeated teams. You're looking at five and one Eagles, five and one 49ers, five and one Detroit Lions. I thought they might hover around 500 with Jared Goff at QB, but he's playing fantastic and credit to the Detroit Lions. Bengals kind of mentioned it. Look, I was preseason really high on the Bengals. They're difficult to play against. They're, they're, they're just heavy schematically. Defensively, they're really strong. And I know it's 500 right now, but that is the Bengals team I thought we were going to get to begin the year. And with the calf injury, never really materialized. But the rest of this way, that team is going to be a force to deal with. They go get a bye week. Now here's another week for Joe Burrow to recover. They come back and get to play San Francisco. It's not going to be easy. They got Buffalo. But suddenly these Bengals games are going to be just a clobber fest, whoever you're playing against. Get ready to come out with some bruises in that game because they can play serious defensive football. And in that AFC right now, which is so in flux, is Houston going to fall off? What do we think of um, the Steelers at six, six seed right now? Do they slip out? Do they catch up in the AFC North as well? Bengals are going to be a team that is going to be difficult to play against, and uh, understandably so. They finally arrived on the scene. Stay in that AFC North, the Browns. All the reasons the Browns could lock up shop here. QB out, Nick Chubb out for the year, couple injuries. This team, defensively, is going to out, out to hurt some people. Miles Garrett is potentially defensive player of the year. Fred Warner in that conversation, a bunch of people, but I, I don't know if there's anyone scarier right now on defense than Miles Garrett. He just threw Trent Williams on Did a couple you? of plays. Not a lot of people in the NFL can ever really say that. Miles Garrett out of control. That defense humming right now. Huge win against San Francisco. And look, I'm not even going to talk about the 49ers today. I said, apologize last week. Embargo on any Brock Purdy content. Cleveland. It's more of a hat tip to Cleveland than it is the 49ers stumbling. They had their injuries, but the Cleveland Browns uh, right now in the AFC North, you got the Ravens kind of doing their thing offensively. Now you got the Browns top three defense. Jim Schwartz is coming there, revolutionized uh, what they were doing. They went from one of the worst units to amongst the three best for me right now. And they're coming to Seattle in a couple of weeks. They'll hear it on these airwaves, of course, but that is going to be a huge challenge for Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, in two weeks. CJ Stroud just looks calm, composed, cool. This guy on the road, he can do it. At home, he can do it. He's just looks composed and easy to, to, to solve problems. This is a tough defense he went up against in New Orleans. Gets the W. Gets the W. And right now, it looks worse in Carolina because of Bryce Young. But to me, C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson should have went number one. C.J. Stroud continuing that case of why he should have went that high. Robert Sala came into the season, and I said, hey, I just want to see how he grows into this season. I think he says a lot of things that are really great. 
but it it's fair to just wait until he goes above 500 before we start claiming this guy is a fantastic coach. Cornerbacks are out. Zach Wilson's playing QB. Aaron Rodgers is down. All sorts of issues. Robert Sala gets a massive win against the Eagles. So now you start putting your yourself in the conversation of are you amongst the top 10 coaches across the league? And the Jets, after Aaron Rodgers went down, who would have thought the Jets would be here with a 500 record? Huge feather in the cap for Robert Sala and the way that defense is playing. Unbelievable uh, game for the Jets to get that win. And now they've kind of gone through the worst part of their schedule as well. You look at it and you say, hey, the, the tough bit was going to be Buffalo, Dallas, KC, Philly. They're three in three here. They're going to go to a bye. They get the Giants coming out of there. They get the Raiders at some point. They get Atlanta. Sneakily, sneakily, is the Jets defense going to carry them throughout the course of this season? Mention CJ Stroud. He's looking fantastic. Bryce Young and the Panthers. Not so much. Now, I said I was out on Frank Reich a couple of weeks ago, but what happens today? He's given up play calling duties. They're 0-6. This is a bad football team, and it's getting worse. They're making changes. Like, this is the first year for Frank Reich, and he's already giving up play calling duties. They are in a bad spot right now. They go to a bye. Let's see what they look like coming out of it, but it is not looking good. Their first team that they're going to play coming out of the bye is Houston. So you get the immediate look of Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud. What is a new look offense can be six weeks into the season, but it's not going well in Carolina. They gave up a pick as well. That could be a top two, top three pick right now for the Chicago Bears, so it's all going great for the Bears. I've been critical of Nils Hoaglander through two games. I'm not saying, hey, I'm jumping in the bandwagon, but through two games, credit where credit is due for Nils Hoaglander. Makes a nice pass and scored a goal. He's doing what he needs to do through two games. Keep himself in the lineup. He's working hard. Looks far better uh, forechecking than we've seen in the past. More functional offensively as well. A bit more connected to the other four line mates. So, hey, through two games, the whole point of this segment is to be accountable and give credit when credit is due. Uh, Nils Hoaglander is doing what he needs to do to begin the year for the Vancouver Canucks. Certainly want to see him get a bit more runway uh, throughout the course of this road trip. I don't know if it's going to mean he's going to be elevating up the lineup, but certainly right now playing next to Sam Lafferty and getting his chances, uh, Nils Hoaglander uh, doing what he needs to do through two games. I mentioned it a bit earlier. Not necessarily the Canucks' defense as far as personnel, but mentality. Coming into the season, this was going to be a huge change. Can they actually make that flip? Through two games, they look on it. They look far committed, far more committed defensively uh, than certainly we've seen the last two seasons. Structure looks a little bit better. We'll see if it continues here. Philly on the way, Tampa, Florida, Nashville. I feel like only uh, two of those are really going to get tested. But we're looking at this road trip. If you can get come back home with about eight points, that's a, a good road trip. If that game against St. Louis happens, Canucks have more than eight points, good road trip. And suddenly, 
they've uh, solved the start. I, I said by Nashville. Wanted to get to a spot where that Nashville game, game five, you're above 500. Well, the Canucks are on their way, and I think partly due to their defensive commitment all of a sudden, uh, which is not something I thought we'd say about the Vancouver Canucks this early into the season. We'll get into more of it. Uh, your thoughts. Keep sending them in, 650-650. But we'll talk about it with Brendan Batchelor on the other side, your voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Also, guess the lines looking ahead to Week 7. And at 4 o'clock on Canucks Central, Patrick Alvin will join Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. All coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Second half of the People Show. Text in 650-650. Always be part of the show. Coming to you live from the Kintex studio. Uh, this one. Unsigned text here. Oh, sorry, it is signed from Gus. Uh, do the listeners feel like Casey DeSmith deserves a start in Philly uh, based on that performance in Hostile Edmonton? Health matters in the scenario. Demko good to go? Well, then you uh, play Thatcher Demko. But I will say, when you, when you map out 25, 27 starts for Casey DeSmith, you look at it and say, hey, can you get 27 points? Well, he's got two. And not just two against Philly. It's two against a divisional opponent and not even San Jose. It's Edmonton. So uh, Casey DeSmith, uh, hats off, getting two points against uh, one of the Stanley Cup favorites. So huge one for Casey DeSmith, and you get to bank those two points now and look ahead and say, okay, what's the next spot for him, and what else does he need to do to get uh, more starts? But is your confidence increasing in Casey DeSmith? Potentially, I'll see if Rick Tockets is as well and earns uh, a couple of more starts in goal. All right, let's talk to our uh, good friend, Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Batch, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Always a blast, man. Always a blast. Uh, I, I thought maybe we could talk about Man United for a bit here, man. News over the weekend. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> bring me up to date. It sounds like the club is sort of partially being sold, yeah, but maybe uh, not. And it's, it's, who knows? Like, it's... A never-ending story with them, isn't it? It's like 12% from the New York Stock Exchange has been sold and 12% from the Glazers Trust. Is, well, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, there was some news over the weekend with Man United, which we always love to uh, talk about with Batch, but we wa- always want to talk to about uh, Canucks hockey. So, 2-0, and o, Batch, beyond our wildest <laughs> dreams. Yeah, uh, very impressed with what I've seen through two games. And I think... Um, you don't want to read into these things too much. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to get too high because of the way they played in game one. You don't want to get too low because of the way they had to find a way to win in game two when they were pretty well outplayed by the Oilers and had to spend, you know, nearly a period on the penalty kill at the end of the day. Uh, but they got the job done. They played to their systems. They played to the structure that Rick Tockett wants them to play to. 
and they're 2-0 and 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 put themselves in a pretty good situation heading into the game against the Flyers tomorrow. That's the thing, right? Like, got the job done. Was it pretty? No, of course not, right? But the thing is, like, there have been games when they've given up a lot of chances, and it's it's run around hockey, right? It's two on one the other way, three on two the other way, and now back the other way with the with odd man rushes. Uh, in in rewatching that game, I kind of just looked and said, I, I don't see a lot of odd man rushes against here for the Canucks, and it feels like okay, that's the tenets that they're trying to apply in Rick Talk and hockey. Did they absorb a ton? Of course they did, uh, but I, I think if you are committed to uh, blocking off like cross slot passes and you're committed to blocking shots you can live with the odd game that looks like that the odd game yeah absolutely and especially when you're playing a team that has two of the best players in the world like mm-hmm. mcdavid and dreisaitl and you know it's refreshing because we had a lot of games that we called last year where the canucks were heavily outshot and heavily outplayed and in most of those games they were heavily outscored as well mm-hmm. so you know again a lot of the personnel are still the same. So they're not going to go from being one of the worst defensive teams in the league to being one of the best defensive teams overnight. But some of those underlying things you're talking about, just the commitment to blocking shots, the commitment to getting sticks in passing lanes, the commitment to being in the right spot so that you're not giving up plenty of odd man rushes and essentially not giving up as many quality scoring chances as you have in the past, even if you're going to give up shots. And that's something I've seen from the Canucks in both of these games is they've been content to give up shots, Mm -hmm. but they've been mostly from the outside or perimeter plays. The grade A middle of the ice chances haven't been there as much as we've seen from this team in years past. And that's definitely a big positive for this group. And it's something that will allow them to win games like they did on Saturday night with more regularity when they are outplayed, when maybe they're the second best team on the ice in terms of skill. Um, if you commit to those things defensively, and this is what we've heard Rick Tockett preach about basically since the day he arrived. Well, now we've seen it in practice in a couple of games. And, you know, again, as I said, you sort of throw game one out because you're, you're not going to win eight one very often. In fact, you might not win eight one again all season, but some of these underlying things that allowed them to win that game, even if they were the second best team, are the things that good teams do when they don't have their fastball on a night-to-night basis. And, you know, not that I'm willing to crown the Canucks a good team yet, but if they can do that with consistency, they will give themselves a chance to win games this year that they did not have a chance of winning last year. You know, the thing that really stood out, and and there was a lot of uh, net front scrambles, and through two games, and obviously on the first game we talked so much about how how good they were defensively, but through two games, suddenly, you know, free access around the defensive zone doesn't look like it's there. And there's always bodies on people, they're, they're, they're in the crease or trying to do whatever they can on net front scrambles, and... The thing we saw last year is it looked easy at times for teams to kind of be in second gear and still go and get four or five goals. Like the Edmonton Oilers in that game with a full healthy lineup, and reminder, like no Bluger, no Susie, no McKayev as well, backup goalie in net. The Edmonton Oilers were firing, and they were still like difficult to generate space for themselves in the like prime scoring areas. That to me is the, the most encouraging thing. Yeah, I think the only time that I it really felt dangerous around the Canucks net were those really scrambly plays where it felt like chaos around the crease. Well, like, there's still three uh, bodies the, like jumping in front and doing whatever they can there. 
Oh yeah, there was commitment to defending mm-hmm. the middle of the ice, and and you know, really like the the Drysital goal in the first minute is one of those scrambles mm-hmm. that went against them. And I'm thinking of it more in the sense of I think that's when DeSmith looked most unsettled was when you know there were bodies and chaos around the crease, but it wasn't like there were uncontested Euler forwards sitting at the back post for tap-ins, which is something that we would have seen last year with the way this team defended. The Canucks have done a great job defending the middle of the ice, whether it's been on the penalty kill, getting sticks in passing lanes, whether it's been at five on five. um, That's something that, again, coming back to the structure, coming back to what Rick Tockett talks about, committing to your staples, doing it consistently on a night-to-night basis, those are the things you need to see from a team as sort of like a, a, a baseline to be able to build off of in terms of having success. And it's a baseline that wasn't being met by the Canucks last year. So good first step, good couple of games, but you know, consistency I think is going to be the, the buzzword going forward where how many times in recent seasons did we see Vancouver have a good game or a good couple of games and then take a step back or, you know, I don't want to use the term read their own press clippings, but, you know, kind of get a little bit comfortable uh, in terms of, oh, we're playing so great. Look at us. We've won a game or a couple of games. And that's when you'd see a setback. I, I know that's something that Rick Tockett won't let this team get away with, but that's something they'll need to guard against, especially going in against the Philadelphia Flyers team that after you've had this strong start to the year could be considered almost a trap game with some of the opponents that you're going to face on this road trip. Yeah, especially you know, if you get caught looking ahead here in a spot, you say, hey, Tampa Bay, they're, they're always a fun team to go against. A, a measuring stick opportunity can't get past uh, Philly before you get to Tampa Bay. Uh, you mentioned Casey DeSmith, though. Uh, first impressions uh, for him uh, in a regular season game. And, and what is he doing to uh, maybe earn a little bit more trust to gain some more starts here down the road? Yeah, obviously he was big, um, you know, had a, had a strong performance. As I said, I thought it was a little bit scrambly for him when the Oilers were able to sort of get bodies and create chaos around the crease, but he battled through that well. Uh, it'll be a big confidence boost for him to be able to come in in a big spot by, like that. I, I can't imagine that's a start that uh, they were planning for him, mm-hmm. uh, and it may have just been one that because Demko was sick, they wanted to give him more time to to rest and get back to the latter portion of the road trip. So you get thrown into the crease on your new team on Saturday night in Edmonton, Hockey Night in Canada, the Oilers home opener against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and you make 37 saves and your team finds a way to win the game. That's something that will not just be a confidence boost for DeSmith, but it'll be a confidence boost for the group in terms of playing in front of him because we know, you know, not that the Canucks were good defensively last year, but they also didn't look very confident when Delia and Martin were in the net while Demko was out. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where DeSmith can gain confidence, the team can gain confidence playing in front of him, and both of those things can kind of snowball in a positive manner as opposed to what we saw last year, which was the team would play poorly, the goaltender wouldn't bail them out, nobody trusted anybody, and things went haywire as a result. So, um, step one in terms of building that trust with his new team for Casey DeSmith, and he passed it with flying colors. 
Yeah, it's a stark contrast between some of the defensive performance we saw, you know, in January that uh, Delia and Martin had to deal with, and what we saw with uh, Casey DeSmith uh, on Saturday. Uh, looking ahead, though. Um, it's funny because usually the past couple of years we've been sitting here and like, all right, four games below 500, nine games below 500, whatever it is. And you say, what's got to change in the forward group batch? Uh, you win two in a row and we're like, hey, uh, forward group right now, not making any changes. Uh, but what have you enjoyed uh, from uh, the, the, the forwards right now? And uh, what stood out through two games? The depth production, I think, is the, the huge mm-hmm. thing for me. And in particular, the game on Saturday night where you're getting goals from uh, essentially, the three guys that lined up on your fourth line to start the game in Hoaglander, Lafferty, and Stadnika. Now, you're not going to expect those guys to chip in with offense every night. And in terms of generating offense, when you only have 16 shots in a hockey game on most nights, that's not going to be enough for you to score four goals like they did. So uh, I like that the depth players are contributing. I like that they're being given opportunity and they're shining in that opportunity. And that's something that, you know, Uh, as I said, not that you get depth goals every night or your fourth line scores every night, but that they can get some more offense from down the lineup with some more consistency. That's going to be good. Uh, Now that they're not facing the Oilers anymore, I would like them to, to, you know, get those shot totals up as a group, Um, you know, create some more opportunities for themselves. Because as I said, you know, four goals on 16 shots doesn't happen every night. So you need to give yourself more opportunities to put the puck in the back of the net. And I imagine the Canucks will do that. You would hope anyway with the game against Philadelphia tomorrow that it will be them that sort of um, is dictating the way the game is played and and trying to take it to the Flyers as opposed to sort of reacting to what the Oilers are doing, which, you know, when you're facing Edmonton, that's the way most teams have to play them, I think, uh, in, in this day and age. But depth scoring good. I want more pucks on goal, more opportunities. And then, you know, the fact that they've gotten goals from so many different guys, I think, what, it's it's nine different Canucks that have scored now, and Besser's the only multi-goal guy. Um, that's a good sign, but at the same time, you want your top players to continue to exert their presence on the game and, and get their points and help you produce offense as well. And, uh, you know, that's not something we have to be worried about when you've got guys like Pedersen and Kuzmenko and Miller. Uh, leading the charge in that regard. Uh, no need to fact check you. It is nine goal scorers so far through two games. And uh, Nils Hoaglander is the one I want to kind of feature on here. And look, it hasn't been a ton of ice time, but hey, look, he was there uh, with less than five minutes to go on the ice. The other thing we've always talked about is baseline production. It's great that you can have the underlying numbers, but is the production actually going to be there? Well, three points through two games. And do you see like a more well-rounded player so far through two games? I do. I see a guy that, you know, is doing the right things to help his team have success. And isn't it funny that when you sort of buy into some of those habits and the things that the coaching staff preach, then maybe a little bit of offense comes with it. And it's, you know, it's that old hockey saying defense leads to offense. And for Hoaglander, you know, he was a guy that struggled with his defensive game and his production was struggling. So it's nice to see a guy that, you know, I think for the most part is making the right plays, um, you know, in his defensive zone in terms of transition. You know, he's, he's made a couple of plays that have helped lead to scoring chances or goals where, Maybe he's not, you know, getting his name on the score sheet, but he's doing the right thing. And, you know, even uh, even his goal that he scored on the tip the other night, he does some good work down low to help create that opportunity. So I think that's maybe the next step in the uh, maturation of a player like Niels Hoaglander. 
which is that, um, you know, you, you've had some experience now at the pro level. You've gone down to the AHL. You've worked on your game. And now you understand that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be all about offense. But you have to commit yourself to the game at both ends of the ice, 200 feet, make the right plays, do it with consistency. And if you do that, then it's going to help your team and it's going to help you individually in terms of generating more offense and putting up more points. So, um, again, small sample size, but it's the only sample size we have to read into. I've liked Hoaglander for two games, and hopefully he can build on that and, and try to find some consistency in his game because I think that's something that he's struggled with in the past too is at times we've seen flashes of, of strong defensive play or him doing the right things in his own zone, and we've certainly seen flashes of offensive production, but it's been about putting both of those things together and doing it on a night in night out basis. And that's really what Rick Tockett and the coaching staff are going to be judging a player like Niels Hoaglander on going forward. Batch, uh, we'll uh, look forward to your call tomorrow, uh, three o'clock on these airwaves. Yeah, bright and early. So if you're (laughs) still at work or in the car driving home and can't watch the game, make sure to join me and Randy for the call. Three o'clock pregame show with Satin Reach at two. Cheers, pal. Thank you. It's our good friend, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. Uh, more Canucks content coming up. Canucks Central on the way at 4 o'clock with Satyar Shah and Dan Riccio. Patrick Alvin will join them off the top of the show. The general manager. Trade rumors aplenty for the Canucks. And they're 2-0. So I'm sure he's got all smiles, but we'll hear from Patrick Alvine in about uh, 12, 15 minutes uh, until we wrap up the show, though. Love to do it on a Monday. Look ahead to week seven of the NFL season. Try to extract some value. Uh, maybe there's a chance for uh, some big six selections here. Uh, let's get to it with Guess the Lines. Ben, behind the glass. All right, hit me, yes. Ben. What do we got? We're going to start with the Thursday night game. The New Orleans Saints play host to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ooh, an AFC-NFC South crossover here. Yes. Uh, let's go with... Uh, oh. There's the big drum again. to do it again. Yeah. Um, Jaguars get their win versus Indianapolis. The Saints lose to Houston. Saints at home on Thursday night, short week for Jaguars. You know, they've done a couple of London games there as well. Uh, Derek Carr doing okay. Trevor Lawrence significantly better. Uh, what's the betting public faith going to be in this one? I'll say Jaguars road favorites, one and a half. Minus one. Wow. Oh, all right. right. On it. Close. All right. Yeah, close enough. Close enough. Uh, we'll move to Bills at Patriots, AFC East showdown in Foxborough. Bills at Patriots. Patriots, Mac Jones, like every time he scrambles right, he's throwing across his body directly to an opposition. Uh, Bills. They can't score right now. The Patriots cannot. It's it's bad. It's like a direct snap to Zeke. And it's like, let's go. They can finally (laughs) score a touchdown. And they're living in 2017 right now. And and they're home in this spot. They're home. So they're going to be big home underdogs. Are they going to be over a touchdown at home? I don't see how they're not. Let's let's go Bills minus. You probably need teaser prediction, so let's go Bills minus nine and a half. Eight and a half. Okay, so past the seven. Over yeah. a touchdown, though, for sure. Yeah. Falcons, Buccaneers. That's a lot. That is a NFC lot. South. NFC South battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very interesting division that nobody seems to want to win, but you got the Bucks, you got the Falcons, you got the Saints all with three wins right now. 
which is not expected at all. Yeah, like we kind of knew this division was going to be a bit of a mess, but maybe the Falcons would be offensively frisky. Has not happened. Uh, Desmond Ritter struggled, I think. uh, They moved the ball, but didn't close out drives. Kyle Pitts actually uh, showing up these last two weeks. Uh, Let's clip of uh, Jameis Winston talking to Alvin Kamara on the sideline. Kamara's just like having none of it. Oh, no, I missed this. Yes, he's just like "Mm -mm, not paying attention to you (laughs) at all. Uh, all right, divisional game. Uh, the Buccaneers lose to Detroit, though, in that spot. I don't know if it's a full field goal here because I feel I still feel like people want to take Atlanta. So let's just say two and a half here. Saints are favored. On the money. Yeah. No, the, the Bucs are favored. Not the Saints. The Bucs are favored. Sorry, yeah, sorry the Bucs are favored. Bucks yeah, are favored. Home, home, home favorite. Yes. yes. Huge. Uh, we have another divisional matchup. Detroit Lions, Baltimore Ravens. That's not divisional. Oh, you're right. My bad. They're both North. Sorry, sorry, North. Yeah, we the North there. AFC North. (laughs) It's another North crossover here. Uh, Ravens. uh, Look, Lamar, that offense still needs to iron out a few wrinkles, but that offense does look good here. Detroit just looks fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you can go into Baltimore, though, and be a road favorite in uh, this spot here. So I'll say Ravens minus one. Minus two and a half. Okay. Which I was a little bit surprised by. Okay, hang on. I'm going to write Detroit as a potential pick uh, then. Yeah. For 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 We're going to highlight six. that one. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Two and a half for the Ravens. Browns right. coming off a big win against the Indianapolis Colts in Indianapolis. Now, the status of the QBs kind of define this totally. big time. Yes. Uh, so this could be anywhere. So I, I'm going to make a guess assuming Deshaun Watson is playing. Okay. Um, but I'll say Browns minus three and a half. Minus two. Okay. I'm not sure people are convinced he's playing. Yeah, okay. Which All is, right. this This can fluctuate. Yeah. Heavily. Uh, moving over to the Raiders visiting Soldier Field. The Chicago, <laughs> Chicago Bears. Raiders at Bears. Hey, look, the, the Raiders are 500. Tune in for that game. Yeah, like As much as we, we make fun of the Raiders, they're 500. So, but they're not exactly a fun watch right now. Although Max Cosby is fun to watch. That's really about it. Uh, the Bears, Justin Fields, now looks like he's going to be out, dislocated thumb. Um, so this line, reflection of that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine you're going over a field goal. Raiders road favorites, uh, minus three and a half. Minus three. Yeah, a minus field three. Goal. Yeah. Field goal. Uh, we'll go NFC East matchup. Washington, New York football giants. Oh, my goodness. Uh, in this is Flushing Meadows. In Flushing Meadows. Uh, giants uh, lose last night. Commanders get that win on the road uh, at Atlanta, which is a fantastic win for them. Uh, give me Commanders minus two and a half. One and a half. Half. All right. You're picking everything right, at least. I, I'm like in the right area. And you're yeah. right around it. Yeah. And one right on the nose. Uh, we'll move to Pittsburgh, L.A. Rams. We talked about the Rams offense mm-hmm. in the show. Pittsburgh coming off a bye here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Mike Tomlin will get a lot of love uh, coming off a bye week. The Rams get their win over Arizona, and that offense looks really good. In L.A. And it's in L.A., but Steelers fans always travel. Is SoFi enough of a home field advantage? I'm not convinced it is. Uh, let's say Rams minus two. Rams minus three and a half. 
The hook. Yes. Oh man, am I going to be back in the Eagles or the Steelers again? I know. All right, last one here. Last one. We got to do the Seahawks game. Arizona coming up to Seattle. Yeah. Where do you have that? It's not the House of Horrors because usually it's Seattle at Arizona, which is the uh, a trap game. It, Earl Thomas got hurt. Yeah. Richard Sherman got hurt. Super Bowl lose the Super Bowl there. All sorts of problems in Arizona. But Arizona's been frisky um, coming to Seattle. But Seattle loses obviously to Cincinnati. You'd still got to figure this is going to be a touchdown. Uh, I'll say Seahawks minus seven. Seahawks minus eight. Okay. All right. That's a pretty good effort today. Yeah, that's, that's strong. I like it. Not sure if I uh, got a lot of value out of those. But tomorrow we'll do the Chargers. We'll do the Cowboys and anything else that we missed. Let's keep an eye uh, on that Lions, on that Lions Ravens game. That, the, that that's the first one to me that I look at and say like Detroit full field goal. That's interesting. Hmm. All right. Interesting is uh, Patrick Alvin. What he. Has- Canucks Central, the general manager of your Vancouver Canucks coming up in minutes here on a Monday edition of Connect Central. This is The People Show.